ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Wrong Think Radio. I'm your host, Aaron, broadcasting from just outside the nation's capital in beautiful northern Virginia. And I'm Alan, coming to the lovely and cloudy greater Seattle metropolitan area. And this is Wrong Think Radio. This is our two-hour live show that we put on every single week, or at least almost every single week. Uh, every single Sunday to bring you guys our facts and analysis of what's going on in the world, cutting through a lot of the media bias and nonsense and propaganda and Pravda. And my goodness, it's just, um, there's a lot of it. Obviously, everybody always, you know, that's the big discussion point, right? Is like, well, what are they lying about today? Um, and obviously, we're here to kind of make sense of the news, give you guys an idea of what's happening, and also give you that deeper understanding of, uh, you know, what we can do about it and what we can do about, you know, any of these other things and what to look out for. So um, just shared everything out to social media. So hopefully everybody gets it and can come and join us and uh, jump on. Obviously, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been able to go, A, because of scheduling conflicts and B, because of audio issues and everything, but um, still reworking a new studio, uh, which is interesting. So I'm, this is the first time that I've been in the new studio uh, we'll see how it works out. I'll have to actually, like, listen to a show. I don't typically listen to our shows after I've done them, but I'll have to listen to this one and, and see how the audio sounds and figure out if there's any fixes I need to make. Um, but you can always join us live over at Spreaker.com forward slash WrongThinkRadio, and that's how you can jump onto our chat and be able to talk to us and let us know if you have any questions or what's going on with that. But let's dive in. Um a lot of news stories happening, a lot of different things kind of going on, um, you know, that, that, that need to be looked at and need to be observed. And it's just, uh, um, it can be overwhelming to try to get to really like, what's the most important thing, you know, like, like what's, because let me explain it to you guys this way. Like, what's the most important thing that we should talk about every single week? Is that the biggest news item? Is it the news item that nobody else is talking about? Or is it the mm. thing that we know is going to be a news item in the future? And to be completely honest with everyone out there, it, like that's, that is the hardest evaluation uh, to make on a regular basis with this program because we see it all. And the question is, is, you know, do we talk about what everybody else is talking about? That's not always a bad thing. There's a reason why people are talking about it. But the other aspect of it is, you know, do we arm you guys with knowledge of what's going to be coming down the road? You know, or do we look sure. at the different perspectives that exist? And so, like, it's always this dance, right? And to be fair, one of the unique things about this program, one of the things I like the most about this program is we have set ourselves up to be audience driven. And this isn't really mm -hmm. like a sales push, but it is something right. Um, a lot of the stuff that we discuss on the, you know, the days that we're not broadcasting occur on our discord, uh, which you can access if you're a subscriber at subscribestar.com. Uh, and a lot, that's where I kind of get the, you know, we get the opinions of like, what is it our audience is really interested in? Because these are the people who paid and, you know, they, we talk about stuff all the time. People share news stories. Um, but it's just, it's given me this very interesting, um, outlook, not only being on social media and having to see what people are doing, not only, you know, having our discord where our audience talks directly to us and our subscribers talk to us, but What's fascinating about it is what people are actually concerned about vice what the news is trying to get everybody to talk about. And uh, I know that that was kind of a long-winded introduction, but let's be honest. 
it's the economy. Mm. Regard, regardless of everything else that's going on, regardless of, you know, the discussions about the Second Amendment, discuss, you know, discussions about gun control, the media's sudden interest in gang violence, which they're calling mass shootings, even though they've literally ignored them every other time, uh, which we'll get into a little bit later in the program. It is all because the Democrats know that they need to avoid the economy. And I think that, well, to sort of simplify it a bit, but make it honestly very, you know, perceptible for everyday people. um, It's because Americans can conceivably say that electing Joe Biden was a mistake. Yeah. Like, it's painfully obvious electing joe biden was a mistake and the reason why is things remember the entire reason why you were going to vote for joe biden was because you know cheeto hitler was so awful and it was just fascism and life was terrible people were worried about being thrown in death camps oh my gosh it was the worst but let's just be honest that never really existed. People, your average Democrat could bitch incessantly about Trump, could sit there and say how awful the country was because of racist Trump or whatever bullshit thing they made up, sexist Trump or whatever is Trump, right? Mm-hmm. But now, you know, they went better with Biden and they can't afford gas. Their wages mean far less now than they did before. The economy's in the toilet, investment's in the toilet, housing prices are going up, people's 401ks are being completely decimated, so your retirement plans are put on hold. There was a report that came out earlier this week, I believe that it came out of MarketWatch. It was MarketWatch or Forbes, where there are people that are within five years of retirement are now delaying Mm -hmm. retiring. I want you to imagine that. Retirement's a little bit of a silly concept. Uh, to be fair, like maybe I'm old school, but I just assume I'm going to wor- work until I die because I don't know what the hell else I'm going to do with my life. Um. <laughs> uh, uh, let's say instead of maybe retirement, it's achieving enough financial independence that you don't have to that you could that you don't have to work. Yeah, you work for fun money know. like that, that kind of thing. Right. You end your yeah, career. Like, I think, and, I think let's, and, instead of retirement, just a financial independence and. You know, that's like maybe you don't you're not aiming to not work, but you're aiming to get to a point where work having to work is more of a isn't a critical life necessity. Right, right. No, and I understand. Like, I'm not don't get me wrong. I'm not against retirement. It's just I don't I don't live for my 401k, I think, is what I was trying to get across. But But I want you you Mm -hmm. will get older and eventually you'll get to the point in your life where you're like, I honestly can't work anymore. If you're like 80. Yeah. No, you're no. Probably I, you're probably going to want to not work and have enough <laughs> saved up that you're not going to have debt and all these other things. Sure. Not, not want to sit there with your old arthritic bones. Right. Um, no, I, what I was going to get at, though, is like, can you imagine being somebody who worked 20, 30 years and you you were ready? Like, you know, you did you did planning. You were set. You were going to go, you know, go forward and do this. And all of the sudden. You can't. Right. Like you have to delay. I'm sorry. You're, you're going to need to wait at least a few years because if you retire now, my God, like your retirement has been wiped out and, it, and, and it's going to get worse because yeah. we technically 
and I mean this very severely, technically haven't entered a recession. Now, that's a bunch of lies. Everything economically looks like we're in a recession right now. But these, you know, the same people who told us inflation wasn't going to happen are also saying we're not in a recession now. So once again, it, it goes back to like, oh, that that's weird. Uh, I thought that the reason why we were supposed to respect the op- opinion of economists was that they would they were going to use the numbers and not lie to us. But, you know, every major economist told us that, no, no, there's not going to be any any inflation. Oh, no, 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 no. There, there's there's not going to be any inflation because, well, let's let's just let's just be honest. We don't we don't need to, you know, mince words with our audience because they're, you know, intelligent. Um, it was because they're all liberals. Mm-hmm. And so it was no, 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 no. Uh, Biden's in charge now. We don't have to worry about inflation. And then inflation exploded. Yeah. So they lied. They lied the entire time. Very much so. But, I mean, just imagine being that person right now. Imagine being the person who, you know, has has saved up. And let's say you voted for Biden. You poor bastard. Um, and all of a sudden, you can't retire. Like, I guess the ultimate part that I want to get to on this is, um, do you wish you had mean tweets I kind of do. Yeah. I, I mean, I would rather have mean tweets than a housing market where people can't, like, where I'll never be able to buy a, a house. Yeah. Like, I'd rather have mean tweets than empty grocery store shelves. I'd rather have mean tweets than pretty much anything I've seen from the Biden presidency. But then I'm weird and I'm strange <laughs> and I'm, I'm definitely a, a, not of the norm because the mean tweets never actually bothered me that much. So maybe I'm not the right person to ask. Well, I'm going to be honest. I don't, I don't think they I always saw the mean tweets and was never really all that concerned because they were just tweets. And honestly, even if they were mean, they were never really that mean and clearly didn't matter. I remember when there was a lot of concern about he's 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 making mean tweets about Kim Jong Un. And then ushered in a unprecedented peace process where the North, leaders of North and South Korea met for the first time ever. Yeah. So that it seems as though the mean tweet when I saw that, I thought, well, Donald Trump's Twitter account clearly isn't a negative because if it were, I was told this wouldn't have happened. I was told this was going to culminate in war between North and South Korea, not an unprecedented peace agreement. <laughs> So obviously, not even it's not even that the mean tweets were necessarily bad. It's I would prefer the mean tweets because they were actually a net positive. Yeah, you could you based on the evidence from the Trump presidency, clearly him him and his Twitter account actually resulted in not just bad things but good things. And I never really saw a outcome of his tweets that the left and other people got upset about that actually became a negative for the country. Can yeah. you think of anything that happened under the Donald Trump presidency where he tweeted something out, people got all outraged, and it actually ended in a negative outcome for the United States at a at the national level? Like I remember, he took so he's tweeted something out something saying our NATO allies weren't paying their fair share, and then a bunch of diplomatic initiatives later, our NATO allies were saying we're lining up to say I guess we'll pay more money. Yeah. Oh, oh the, no. The, the humanity, the socialist countries have to actually carry their weight. 
Well, and as and fascinatingly, as we're seeing now with the Ukraine crisis, all of these European countries, including the United Kingdom and Canada, have basically paper paper armies. They, oh my like, God! Yes, they send like a week's worth of anti-tank missiles to Ukraine, and suddenly they're all of these countries saying we actually don't have any military stockpiles left to fund our own military and keep doing this to the Ukraine. And the United States is sitting around here going, "What? I, you guys are our NATO allies. You're supposed to be maintaining full national militaries to respond in the event of a military crisis, and you don't even have enough armored. Ve- you don't have enough of a stockpile of weapons." to actually fight a real war, that is incredibly alarming because it shows two things. One, it shows how military planners in the West have been absolutely irresponsible in the way they predicted modern warfare in look at the number of missiles we're going to need to fire every single day in a real peer-to-peer conflict. It's like our projection was Ukraine is going through something like a week's worth of anti-tank missiles in a single day, every single day of the conflict. And that's why they were suddenly saying all the military aid we're getting isn't sufficient where we need more missiles, which means military planners in the West. Let's say the Ukrainians are irresponsible by half. That means that by our own projections, the number of anti-tank missiles any military, including the United States, is going to expend in a given conflict is at least insufficient, wildly insufficient. If, let's say the Ukrainian military was the United States military and our military is drastically more trained and better led and whatnot. Let's say there's the, mil- the Ukrainian military, let's say, is somehow deficient. And so they're going through anti-tank missiles at a higher than normal rate. Well, yeah, but a week's worth in a single day is such a higher rate that even the best militaries, are you going to guess the number is what, 50 percent as much mm-hmm. that we're that much better that, oh, we're only we're going through a week's worth of missiles in three days. It still shows that military planners have been drastically underestimating the stockpile of advanced munitions that were are necessary for any real conflict. And it goes to everything else. Germany was said, well, we'll supply whatever armored vehicles we can, and we don't have a stockpile of armored vehicles. But as we're seeing in the Ukraine, armored vehicles are getting knocked out on both sides at an alarming rate. And so the idea that, well, we need NATO to pay their fair share. It's not that we need them to pay their fair share. It's that we need them to actually be a functional ally. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the, if Russia invaded the West, which is the whole point of NATO, does it look like, seriously look like, the combined militaries of Germany, France, Sweden, Finland? I mean, these countries aren't, those last two countries aren't in NATO, but they're going to become part of NATO. Does it look like any of that actually would stop the Russians? Or would Germany suddenly go, yeah, we uh, don't have any anti-tank and anti-air missiles left because we've been maintaining this paper tiger of a military just because we didn't want to, we wanted to spend more money on free health care. And suddenly the Russians are going, oh, really? Because we've been building a massive armored reserve and we have one of the only functioning tank plants left in Europe still building tanks at a rate. And I guess that's at the end of the day, what it comes down to is the West got lulled into we have these weekend long wars. And so we don't need to spend money on this deep military reserve. Uh, but the reality is armed conflicts are rearing their ugly head again and saying, well, yeah, it does become a conflict of attrition. And it becomes how much how many men and tanks can you put into the meat grinder fast enough to overwhelm the enemy? That's still a calculus. Like we th- we keep thinking, oh that that went away. It's no longer World War One tactics. Like, but the reality is, is 
how many how much force can you apply over time is what wins conflicts it's the same with even even the mighty u.s air force if i type you talk to those guys the calculus eventually becomes how many sorties can you run over a given time it becomes it like there's the famous quote that oh it, i which of course it's famous and i just forgot half of it but essentially it's you know people that like the the better army is the one that wins uh, the logistics war like logistics are what really win wars and that becomes how fast can you put troops on the field and keep them supported enough that you can maintain military momentum uh i have a buddy that worked in in uh an air base in uh saudi arabia and his he was talking about it's like the big problem here is if there's war with iran we have fewer fighters than iran but we have that we can put up they're higher quality but everything has to come in and over a long-term air campaign the amount of missiles we can store on site the amount of spare parts the amount of spare pilots the amount of like pilot rest the amount of ground crews and their rest and recovery cycles all start factoring into how many sorties can we run per day over the course of a conflict and that's what's going to win or lose the conflict and the big worry was if there is a Iranian massed Scud missile strike that knocks out a third of the facilities on a base, or if they, through control of the Strait of Hormuz, prevent shipping from coming in to reef full of, say, missiles and other stockpiles, they could bottleneck those very critical supplies. And suddenly the mighty U.S. Air Force can't run as many sorties per day as it was planning, and that allows the Iranians tactical flexibility to achieve other objectives it's the same with nato we, we should have looked at them and said we need to audit your military capabilities to prove that you're a functional ally enough in the event of war we can rely on you but that was mean we didn't do it because it was mean everyone just expected the u.s taxpayer will as always foot the bill for any military endeavor because th because that would uh, mean that all these countries in europe get to run their socialist programs into the ground right and and you know we will um, we'll pull that thread on uh, Ukraine a little bit later in the program, um, but you know what is the kind? What are the kinds of things we're hearing from Joe Biden? You know the guy who got the most votes in history, as we're told, and was going to unite the country and make everything better. What kind of responses are we getting from Joe Biden? Well, this is uh, something that he said just four days ago on on June first. Oh, I'm sorry. Give me one second, because for some reason, this doesn't want to behave and play the audio. Hmm. Well, okay, let me rephrase. I can hear it, but I don't think that you guys can. So let me see if I can fix that um, in the new studio. Uh, anywho, worst case scenario, I'll just... Uh, use the microphone to do it but let me see if i can it's fun to listen to him babble okay so it's not going to play nice so give me one second uh here's what he had to say there's a lot going on uh right now but the idea we're going to be able to you know click switch bring down the cost of gasoline is not likely in the near term nor is it with regard to food 
Yeah. So Sorry, we're not about food. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not likely that in the long term we're going to be able to just flip a switch and you know make things make things better. Um, you know that that's not likely. You know for the cost of gasoline uh, and or or for food. You know, or 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 for food. I'm sorry. I mean, food has certainly gotten more, more expensive. That's that's also true. But if the president is mentioning that, that seems like it should worry me. Well, and what worries you even more is like this. This comes from uh, this comes from Breitbart. Uh, this was you know around the the same time on the same day. Uh, President Joe Biden acknowledged Wednesday he did not know about the infant formula shortage soon enough. I don't quote, I don't think anyone anticipated the impact of the shutdown of one facility, Biden said to reporters when he was asked why he did not ask, act sooner to help end shortages. Biden spoke to a group of baby formula producers during a live video event on his or in his imitation White House set across the street from the actual White House in an attempt to uh-huh. demonstrate his commitment to solving the problem. But Biden said he did not realize the problem until early April, even though formula producing executives had sent messages, uh, sent messages warning of potential shortages. They, they did, but I didn't. He, he said shortly referring to the, uh, referring uh-huh. to the CEOs. NBC News reported Tuesday that Biden was upset with his staff. One executive said they knew right away that the Abbott formula plant closure uh, in February would be a problem. We knew from the very beginning this was going to be uh, this would be a serious event, the executive said. Despite Biden's assertion that he was taking the crisis seriously, he did not even publicly address baby formula shortages until May 13th. Now, I want to I want to remind people of something because this is um this is a tactic that the left uses. <clears throat> Joe Biden didn't start talking about the baby formula shortage until May 13th. But let's ask ourselves a question. Why did Joe Biden start talking about the baby formula shortage? In mid-May. Why indeed? Okay, so it wasn't because there was some thing that happened. Or, or, or Okay, it's not because the White House suddenly got gri- grips onto it or anything like that. They started talking about it May 13th because everybody in the public was going, what the hell is going on with the baby formula? There's shelves empty. It was all over social media in early May. People were talking about how their kids could not get formula. The White House didn't jump on this. The White House didn't suddenly start addressing it because they had a solution. The only reason why the president of the United States said a goddamn thing about baby formula was because so many people in regular everyday life were going, what are you doing about this? In other words... The White House was completely content not saying anything. They yeah. thought that they could just not say anything. And on top of that, when you hear that Biden's like, oh, I wasn't even aware of it until April. Are you kidding me? What this tells me is, number one, who the hell is actually running the White House? I know we ask that all the time, but who the hell's running the White House? Because it sure as hell isn't Biden. Number two is they're not going to address something unless it becomes a problem on Twitter 
Yeah. It's all it's all PR. Everything that this White House does is about public relations. It's not about solving problems. It's not about leading the country. It's not about any of that. It is all about public relations. Well, are people concerned about it? Um, are we still in a status that the mainstream liberal media can just not address it? Oh, shit. CNN has to cover it now? Uh, okay, we'll put out a statement. That, yeah. th- that is how this White House operates. And to make matters even worse, just, just to harp on the baby formula thing specifically, but this is this is going to grow beyond baby formula. What we're seeing right now is the roadmap for how the White House deals with crises. Now, we've obviously seen them do this with other things as well, um, but this one's going to be very tangible. How did the, what did the White House do? What was the great response? What was the, the great thing, the solution that the people at the White House came up with to help solve the baby formula crisis? It was Operation Fly Formula, where the United States government went to other countries in Europe and Australia and got baby formula from them and then flew them in on C-130 planes. Or maybe C-17s. I don't know. Cargo planes. Military cargo planes. Okay. It, yes, it's ridiculous. It's also a publicity stunt. Because guess yeah. what you could have done? That would have actually been simpler. Would have solved the problem even better. Just lift the FDA regulations that keep people from being able to order baby formula on the internet. Yeah. It's like there's all these European companies that produce baby formula, but the FDA is, it's not FDA appropriate. And so you can't buy it. That's it. That's it. A hundred percent. Also, why did this even happen? What? Why as a country are we dependent on other countries for producing baby formula? Because there's a monopoly. Because because of the Food and Drug Administration. I I mean, I'm not even going to try to just... I'm I'm not even going to try to rationalize it beyond that. Because the Food and Drug Administration so highly regulates everything that there are... it, It is impossible to have competition. And so when one of the five producers of baby formula has an issue, which also, by the way, was exacerbated by the government because babies didn't die because of the formula. Yes, there were babies that died, but it was not because of the formula. There was no um, there was no actual um, pathogen that was found anywhere where the formula was being produced but because the government does nothing more than ingratiate itself they said well we're gonna investigate it you gotta shut down the whole thing because i'm the government until i say it's good that's what happened yep that's what happened there's no there's zero competition only these rich um uh, conglomerate companies like abbott and other like pharmaceutical companies have the ability to deal with that government regulation. So we have absolutely zero ability for new companies to break into that kind of market. But additionally, those same companies like Abbott are absolutely uh, elated over European labeling laws 
or over the labeling laws that are pushed by the Food and Drug Administration to keep European baby formula out because why wouldn't they be? Oh, you mean to tell me that I have even less competition and no in, like no international company can even break into my market? Fantastic. Yeah. So well, yeah, it seems like the point of all of these regulations is not to make anything better for the American consumer, but to make things better for other people. And honestly, if you look at how a lot of the regulatory bodies in the United States work, it seems like the point is to make it impossible to produce things here so that we become dependent on global markets. Well, it's not only so we become dependent on global markets. So yes, there, there's definitely that factor, but it's also so a few savvy business executives who pay the right, you know, uh, the right political campaigns money um, can get legislation passed that make it impossible for anyone to compete against them because that's exactly how the FDA works. You can't like Alan can't go and start making baby formula. If he goes to do that, the food and drug administration is going to come up and be like, like, no, you're going to have to spend $40 million to even meet regulation or else you could kill babies. You might kill babies. Right, right. It is very onerous. To, there's no. It's very onerous to jump into to get into a lot of these markets. Yeah. When was the last time pointed a government regulation? And, and maybe there is one. I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm just off the cuff. The cuff though. When was the last time that you sat there and saw a government regulation and you were like, "Oh man, I'm so glad that that government regulation exists. It made my life better." Not not often. <laughs> like I honestly it was like oh, thank god the united thank god the federal government had this regulation or else our lives would have been terrible <laughs> like um hmm yeah, yeah. It, it, but, but no and that's exactly it so yes we we are a third world country now that is uh having to fly in baby formula from foreign countries because we can't supply our own well, more alarming than that. It, but And to make piggyback on that, other things that have generated in the United States, the United States, for the, I think the first time, produced less power, less electrical power as a nation last year than any previous year. Well, maybe that's the amount of electric power generation in the United States decreased for the first time between 2020, uh, 2020 and 2021. So the amount, the electrical generating capacity of the United States has started to decline. What? That's not good. Well, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to pull that thread a little bit. Like, what does that yeah. mean, though? Does that mean that we used less? Because no, I... it means that we shut down power plants enough that we are no longer producing as much electrical power as we have in previous years. Are there places that were, like, blacked out because of that? Uh, there's going to be. So remember, all there was a bunch of rolling blackouts in California. It, that's projected to get worse because they shut down. There was a big nuclear plant in, in California that got shut down, and it's not being replaced by anything except green renewables. And it's project and, and it's projected that there's going to be brownouts. Okay, so like the reality is, is a lot of this probably centers in California. A lot of it does, yeah. And so, okay. Yeah, but, it's, like, but it's mm-hmm. also the amount of electrical power the United States needs has only 
increased, especially with this all those push to electric vehicles. That means all of the <laughs> kilowatts of energy that you were using out of gasoline now have to be supplied by an electrical grid that is not expanding its capacity. That's in fact shrinking its capacity by shutting down nuclear and coal plants. And I'll, think of how long it takes plants to get like these to get built. So it's going to be five years minimum if we started building a new nuclear plant today. Mm-hmm. What's that pro- project? Five years? Ten years? And we're not building anything new. Like the here's actually when we talk about regulations, here's an interesting statistic. The what is it? The I the Nuclear Regulatory Commission has not approved the the building of a new nuclear plant since its inception. That's why every nuclear plant in the United States dates back to like the 70s. So we started a regulatory commission whose entire job it was was to ensure that we never built a nuclear power plant. That's pretty much what it seems like, yeah. And think yeah. about it with a lot of other regulations, making it impossible for the United States to be a self-sufficient country, shackling us to these global markets. It's a, it's like a poison pill. It means we, even if it becomes untenable from a national perspective to maintain to to be beholden to all these foreign groups and companies and countries, that's not good for the United States. But now we're shackled. We're so heavily shackled to it because of the economic policy, these economic policies that even if we wanted to. It's almost too painful to extricate ourselves from this situation. Well, so I, I, I guess like he. Hmm. I, I, I hate Well, I don't hate this discussion, but the annoying thing about this kind of discussion is, you know, oh, my God, fossil fuels. They're so terrible for the climate. They cause climate change. Oh, but not nuclear, though. Yeah, we can't build nuclear either. Oh, okay, so we'll build nuclear power plants. Whoa, 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 whoa. So I, I guess I guess here, here's here's the real question. Um, and, and I'll ask you, Alan. You can kind of expound on it, mostly because I need to run over and grab more coffee. But um, yeah, <laughs> the, the, is it because, okay, are they against nuclear power? Because obviously, like, I, I can, I like nuclear. I understand sure. also where people are like, yeah, but like, you know, when something goes wrong in a nuclear power plant, it's like a pretty big deal. I absolutely understand yeah. that. Sure. But solar and wind absolutely cannot compete. The technology is not there. It is yes. not in existence. It is absolutely. a fallacy and a dream. It's a fantasy yeah. to think that they can compete. They can't. It's provable right. that they cannot compete. So, And, and it comes down to simple thermodynamics. The, the sun does not produce, put out enough energy. The, the energy density of the sun, at, with the sun, sunlight when it reaches the United States, the energy, energy density is not enough. It's like, so you put up, you put up a big solar panel, the average energy dent, the average amount of energy hitting every square inch of that solar panel is relatively low. For example, with a tree, you can't just have a, a leaf out, a, a plant growing for one day does not produce enough fuel to burn to heat your to make your dinner that plant has to grow for a lifetime absorbing energy from the sun to turn that energy over time into a full-on tree where the energy is stored which you can then cut down and burn in a week to heat your home it's like so and that's the same with wind the energy density of wind that we are able to capture is not enough per unit compared to i took all this coal and i burned it 
and I released a lot of energy very quickly so I can produce a lot of energy in my turbines. Right. So it's the, question... the same with nuclear. Like we are able to produce the energy density of nuclear power plants is so far beyond that of what you can, what is possible to capture with solar that it just, there's no way you can make up your backbone of energy with solar. And I think people drastically underestimate the energy demands of things like industry of running all of this stuff at the massive scale. So if everyone in Los Angeles is running an air conditioner, the energy that is required for each individual air conditioner is not that much. But on the broad scale, you need to reduce, be producing enorm, you need to be producing enormous quantities of electrical energy to supply that at the scale things are operating at, at the almost inconceivable scale of a metropolis like Los Angeles. And again, I think it's, it is not intuitive that you can do that simply with solar. It's like, well, what if there's solar, solar in every, uh, every house? One of the big things, these nuclear plants in California that they keep shutting down, one of the big ones, which I think this one actually might have been saved because it was just too insane to shut it down, was a nuclear power plant in California whose primary job was simply to pump water to, the, to L.A., so there's giant reservoirs and I think northern, more northerly in California. And it was basically this nuclear plant was running gigantic pumps to pump massive amounts of water over a mountain range into the L.A. basin so that the people in L.A. had water. And then again, you're like, well, what, a nuclear plant just to run some pumps? It is hard to understand the scale of what is going on. The amount of water being pumped is it's easy to calculate. When you think about it, you go, okay, this many million gallons, each one of those gallons of water weighs this much. I have to move it from this level over this mountain range. I have to move it this vertical distance. That requires this many this many kilowatts of power. This much energy is going to require, which means this many kilowatts. You're like, yeah, to do that at scale all day, every day, to supply the water needs for a couple, like, what is, I don't know what the population of LA is, but let's just say it's a couple million people. That requires a <laughs> nuclear power plant, which requires you to be turning a lot of nuclear energy into electric power all day, every day. And those plants are getting decommissioned. And the plan afterwards is hope that it's windy enough. Yeah. It's silly. Anyway, back to you. So, um, Los Angeles, by the way, is almost 4 million people. And that's insane. Like, not even to critique that, but just to look at that and say, it is hard for me to even conceive of a city with 4 million people and all of the resources that they need. I think of the resources that I consume on a daily basis, like running my laptop, you know, eating, going to the store for a loaf of bread. It's not that much, but when you multiply that by 4 million, it's like the amount of resources that have to flow in that flow into LA on a daily basis is a logistics. It's a logistics miracle that we can support cities of that size. It's absolutely incredible. But now, that what, stuff, this is what I think about the left I, that annoys me more than anything. It's, I can look at that and go, it is a absolute miracle that we can have cities the size of LA because of the and the, the because it is entropy doesn't like that it's like it's almost impossible for that to exist and the incredible blessings we have to have 
the living in a time where all of this logistical network and systems and processes have been built up to support that did not come from nothing and is very fragile to be maintained. Because that's bridges and water lines and power lines, and all these other things that got built up to the point where we can have that. And it didn't come from nothing. It came from a dedicated effort to do this. But beyond that, it wasn't just luck. It was there was a culture of people. There were values that they had. There were the knowledge they possessed. And all of this worked together to create the incredible modern world we live in. And the left can only view it as, well, we all just got lucky and now we have this. So we can knock out all the pillars of the previous generation, everything they thought, believed, all the values they had. We can knock that down and it won't negatively affect us. And I look at it and go, no, 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 no. Like there's no way that this was just luck. Something about the values of previous generations, something about the focus they had, their history, even it's even say religion, all of it. Somehow all of those pieces worked together to create the incredible modern world we live. And we knock down the pillars that created that at our serious peril. So, because it's not self-evident that all of the nice things that we enjoy in the modern world, the incredible miraculous things that we're able to support in essentially spitting in nature's eye, like LA is a desert. No one should live there. It should not <laughs> be able to support life. But it does through, through the miraculous efforts of humankind. And it's not an accident how that happened. And it's, but we're going to get bitten real hard when it's, oh, yeah, there's no water in L.A. anymore because we shut down the nuclear power plants and everyone's driving electric cars and we don't have power for that either. And, you know, all the bridges crumbled because we didn't invest in continuing to rebuild the infrastructure. And now food can't get there and it becomes a nightmare zone. Yeah, because uh, because everything is infrastructure. Right. Right. Yeah. Abortion is infrastructure at the end of the day. Like they keep talking about energy. It's like, well, diesel energy is what moves your food around. That weight of food has to be moved this distance, which is this many joules of energy are required. And that has to come from somewhere. Has to come from diesel or electric power. So the amount of it's like I want to live in America where we are producing in irresponsibly intense amounts of of energy (laughs) that we can do anything we want with. Like we have cities on the bottom of the ocean because we produce so much extra energy that we can afford to do that. We can afford the energy expenditure to do insane things. We can have houses. We can have entire communities on top of mountains because we can spend the energy required to supply them logistically. We can pump water up to them. We can build roads up to them and drive trucks up to them. Like that's a better. That's a such a better world to live in than one where we're pinching pennies and meagerly going well we can drive an electric car for a day well um i'll ask you this question and while you answer um i'm gonna step away from the mic real quick but um so the reality is is that it's all unsustainable and that seems to be easily known easily identified Mm -hmm. so the question is why are liberals so intent on doing it? Is it because they're so obsessed with their thing being green energy or is there something more malicious? Is it because they legitimately want to basically push us back to the stone age or become a, a nation or a world that can't sustain the kind of population that it does right now? Like what is it really that drives these people uh, to this kind of idiocy? What, what do you think? 
Well, see, now you're getting into me having to talk about the lizard people. Now, uh, there's clearly a effort that you can see through the what the writings of the World Economic Forum is a good example. There's clearly an effort among global elite institutions aimed at de essentially deindustrialization. And it's hard to look at how all of the, the Green New Deal, all these pushes about climate change, all of this nonsense, which is nonsense. It's like we're adding 100 parts per million carbon to the atmosphere every year or something like that. No, no, that's not right. We've added 100 parts per million total since the Industrial Revolution. Based on ice core samples, it was something like 200 parts per million per in the atmosphere in like the 1800s and it's now 600 parts per million so maybe over over ever since the industrial revolution started we've added something what would be like 400 parts per million let's say 500 parts per million carbon dioxide to the atmosphere that is absolutely minuscule abs absolutely minuscule minuscule amount and to say that it's increasing temperature this much absolutely ridiculous the, the world, the, and here's just the fact, the world is coming out of the little ice age that hit in about 1350 AD. There was something called the little ice age, global temperatures dropped and the world started coming out of the little ice age in around early, like late 1700s. And we are currently warming back to baseline from the temperature drop of the little ice age. For example, during the Roman Empire, there were not massive glaciers in the European mountains. We know this from traveler accounts, and we know this because as the glaciers in Europe melt, we are finding forests, or the remains of forests beneath them, that carbon date back to the Roman warm period. The Earth has been substantially warmer than it is right now, and everything has been not just fine, but better. It, in the Roman and medieval warm periods, that's when people were farming on the edges of Greenland. Human populations were expanding. The world is massively better. As the world warms and as carbon in the atmosphere has increased, because additionally, the United, humans are not the only source of carbon. As the temperature increases, the oceans, which are a massive carbon sink, off-gas carbon as it, as it warms up. You get more algae growth, you get more plant growth, you get more plankton growth. Those things, you'd think those things would suck carbon, which they do to an extent, but additionally, as the oceans warm, carbon comes out of solution and into the atmosphere. So it's not self-evident that human carbon is the only source. Again, so look, it's, the science of this is not settled, and it appears that everything's getting better. The climate is warming. Based on NASA satellite research, between, I want to, I forget what the, the dates were, but between, I think it was the 90s and today, when they first did this, they had set, they have satellites up looking at green, greenery on the planet. The amount of green wavelength, wavelength light reflected across the planet on average shows you the amount of plant life growing on, on Earth. Over the last 20 years, the, the world has added an entire North America's worth of greenery, which means the amount of of square footage of the of the planet that is now green as opposed to brown has increased by the square mileage of roughly north america across the world so forests have never been doing better 
Stuff has never been growing at this rate. The average crop yield of the world has massively increased. And one of the things, again, due to carbon, the more carbon dioxide there is in the atmosphere, the better plants do, the less water they take. So essentially, we're, we could be, if you step back and look at this, we are entering a period that might almost be an idyllic scenario for human beings to live on this planet, but we're being told that it's this awful doomsday scenario. And there's very little evidence to show that that's true. Ooh, the glaciers are going to melt. The glaciers have been melting. The glaciers were at their glacial maximum, the maximum extent that glaciers have ever been since the Ice Age during that 1350 cold spell. So it's like, oh, the glaciers are melting. It's like, good, they should melt. They shouldn't be there. It's yeah, they were... baseline warmer than it is right now. And it's baseline, those glaciers didn't exist. So all that is to say, climate change is nonsense, and it, but it is being used for political purposes for the efforts of deindustrializing the Western world and for some nefarious end. It's like, you know, read whatever you can, want to into that. But the effort is to deindustrialize the Western world and cripple the West economically for a whole slew of possible reasons. I mean, I always like to look at things and my assumption – typically is that it, it goes back to some form of wealth redistribution. Yeah. Because yeah. It, it, like when there's wealth redistribution, there is someone who has to be in charge of the distribution of it. Make sense. Right. And so, I mean, it's easy to say like, it's about power, but that's how it's about power. Is people yeah. like the World Economic Forum, the United Nations get together and they say, we're going to be the people who are in charge of distributing the wealth. Now, of course, they're going to make sure that it gets to them first. But to be completely honest, it gives them power. Right. And they use just the scare tactics. So, um, no, I, I mean, it, it, it's fast. Right. So there's like, obviously, there's a lot of things going on. You know, we have an energy crisis. It's it's actually really amazing how much the Biden presidency looks like the most nightmarish scenario of the Carter presidency. Mm, like, we're going to see gas shortages. There's no way that that's not going to happen. You know, we're, yeah. we're, we're going to, I mean, God, we're probably going to see bread lines, which is going to give Bernie Sanders a giant boner. Um, but you know, it's like, Oh, it reminds me of my honeymoon in this, in the Soviet union. Um, yeah, <laughs> honey, isn't it romantic? Uh, but it's, it, it's absolutely, I don't know. The, the, the whole thing is fascinating, but this all ultimately kind of goes to the idea that, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of economic turmoil that's occurring right now. There's a lot of issues obviously that are going on and the left 100%. It, it's not, it's not that they're incapable of solving the problem. It's that they, they literally cannot any solution mm. that can be made for the issues that are happening, unemployment, inflation, uh, energy shortages, uh, what's going on with Russia and Ukraine and, and the downstream effects of that, uh, the Chinese, uh, Chinese supply chain issues. It, it's not that it's not like, it's not that these things cannot be solved. It is that the Democrat party is incapable due to their policies to solve yeah. any of them. 
They can't. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so they are going to have to commit, not just to obviously people just suffering through this awful nonsense, but they are going to lie to us about it the entire time it's happening. Yes. And and like, that's the biggest thing is how much the Biden white house just lies about everything. Yeah. Like I, I don't expect, which is, which is something that I on maybe honestly now that I think about it, I kind of roll my eyes and go, okay, yeah, of course. But it is one of those things that is shocking when you really think about it, that we have a government that clearly is lying to us and feels no compunction to truly tell the truth, backed up by a news media that does the same thing. And it's not simple lies that maybe I can kind of excuse as, well, you're just trying it. For example, I can imagine, say, during the Vietnam War, if the government was kind of fudging some troop numbers, like, well, no, they're just advisors. It's just I can understand some of that. But this is well beyond anything that's excusable. It is legitimately we are. I my personal theory is that all of this, even from the news media, because the news media and the government seem to be working hand in hand. I think the plan is essentially we are going to make our messaging so confused that it is going to be impossible for normal people to have any effective conversations and come to any effective conclusions between with each other as a part of a divide and conquer strategy. Because think about it. If you tried to get together with one of your Democrat, say a Democrat neighbor, and actually discuss current events and come to any kind of common ground and conclusion where the two of you could work together – it would be nearly impossible because they would keep saying, well, I saw a study that said this. I saw in the news it said this. Are you saying that the press releases of the United States government are completely fraudulent? You would be stuck arguing with each other about what is actually true and what is false rather than talking about what are we going to do about this problem? Like you can't even identify the problem anymore between individual people because things have gotten so confused. And I feel like it's a part of a very cynical strategy to keep the pop, the voting populace occupied with of debating each other about more meaningless things and about what is actually going on than concluding with each other, okay, this is a bad thing that's happening. What are our solutions to solve it? Because you never even can get that far. If I was trying to argue with a Democrat about, say – building more nuclear power plants. Like we need to build more power infrastructure in the United States because we're about to suffer power. Uh, uh, this we're about to suffer this energy crisis and that's really bad. And it's totally not, doesn't need to happen. And we could make this better. They'll be stuck saying, well, I've heard that, you know, the climate and we're going to, you know, it's not obviously not happening. If it, and then this is the other trick. I think that gets pulled a lot is if that were really happening, I would see it on the news. If some, if that alarming thing you're worried about was really happening, I would see it on the news, and it's inconceivable to me that there would be this looming crisis and nobody would be talking about it. And I think all of it is making it impossible for the average person to come together and discuss these things, let alone solve them or take any action. Well, and, and of course, you know, what what is the standard tactic for the Biden White House and the Democrats right now? It's to blame everyone else. And, if, right. for example— the Commerce Secretary, Gina Raimondo, was on um, State of the, CNN State of the Union this morning talking with Jake Tapper to uh, address some of the economic issues like inflation. 
And of course, once again, it's the goddamn blame game. Here's uh, here's her statement to Jake Tapper on uh, State of the Union today. Yeah. What is the administration doing to combat inflation? And joining me now is the Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo. Secretary Raimondo, thanks for joining us. So you heard Secretary Yellen this week said she got it wrong about inflation. In July, you told Bloomberg that inflation would be temporary about a year ago. As recently as six months ago, you were calling inflation a, quote, short-term problem, not a long-term problem. So you got it wrong, too. Yeah, good morning. Good to be with you. Um, So clearly, we are, and Americans are, struggling with inflation. Uh, But I don't think anyone predicted Putin's war uh, in Ukraine or various other things that have happened that have been unexpected. I still think, uh, you know, we will get inflation under control. We just have to stick with it and see it through. You know, I think it's worth noting that gas prices are up $1.40 a gallon since Putin moved troops troops into uh, Ukraine. So... The president and our team is doing everything we possibly can to get inflation under control. The reality is um, the cause of this inflation is the supply chain problems that were caused by COVID we're still struggling with. Putin's war is driving the price of food and gas up. And that's, you know, we can't deny that. We know Americans are struggling. Uh, and demand changes. You know, demand continues to be strong post-COVID in ways that were different than pre-COVID. So we are committed to it. Wait. (laughs) Well, I remember how there were all these supply chain problems happening in 2021 and 2020. So Putin and the Russians have developed a time machine to go back in time and ruin our economy before they invaded. Nobody could have expected. First of all, it's a lie. It's an absolute lie. If you look at the numbers, like gas prices barely ticked up after Russia went into Ukraine. They were the the most massive increases happened prior to that. Uh, Inflation, same thing. It was just on track. It's. Oh, gas prices are really bad now. It's because of Putin. It's like, wait, they've been steadily going up for the past year. Yeah, we we were talking about inflation months and months and months and months before anything. The the Ukraine situation has only reached its hundredth day. But also, but, but to that point, it's not even a good lie. Because even if you pretend like that isn't just complete bullshit, no one could have expected Putin's uh, movement into Ukraine they spent months on the border. You couldn't predict what yep. was going to happen. You were literally saying for months that he was going to invade. But yep. now you're going to predict, oh, we had no idea. Oh, God, we had no idea. Like, yeah. you're literally taking the defense of we were too stupid to see what was before our very eyes. Also, we couldn't expect the kind of demand that happened post-COVID. Are you retarded? How Isn't could that you your not? Job? <laughs> Isn't that your job is the, the, the to predict these things? Yeah, like, also, we, I could have predicted this. I could, went, like, well, wow, COVID, all these lockdowns, that's pretty crazy. And then it's like, wow, all the supply chain things keep happening. That's, that's even more crazy. Like, okay, well, 
what's going to happen next? We're like, oh, it's probably going to be some sort of inflation. And then there's going to be all this demand because we're moving all this stuff. There's supply chain shortage. So we're trying to get as many trucks on the road and ships in the water as possible. So I'm sure demand for diesel is going to only go up. And Two years ago, when the COVID stuff started happening and people were noticing that there were issues, only the right wing started talking about supply chains. Well, so here's a here's a good chart that I just found. In December of 2021, gas was the average gas price in the United States was around $2 a gallon. Mm-hmm. And from December 21 up to now, it has gone just the lines just up. Mm-hmm. So all of the gas price increases happened in essentially early 2022 right but putin invades at the end of at the the end of february beginning of march right i think it was 23rd february putin invades ukraine gas prices had already gone up on average a dollar a gallon by then right and this is just a continue so this is clearly just a continuation now granted after that the it increases but everyone knew that we were facing a bunch of inflation Everyone knew that. The Fed knew that because they just printed something like 30% more do- all the dollars in existence. Actually, I think it's like 60. But it's the federal government printed ridiculous amounts of money over COVID. And everyone at the time said, this is going to lead to inflation. Then inflation started to hit. And everyone said, wow, it's going to lead to inflation. Then all the supply chain stuff happened, which we also all saw. And everyone was going, wow, this is also going to incre- add to inflation. And now suddenly there's all this inflation. And instead of the government saying, here is what we're doing about it, they're blaming Putin and doing nothing. And part of me almost feels like either they that means either they don't want to control inflation or they can't control inflation. They don't want to control the price of gas or they can't control it. Either way, they are failing at their job. Yeah, it is absolutely remarkable that their messaging is so bad that they would actually choose to basically be like, we had, I mean, honestly, think about that, that how many times in, in, in just a few quotes that we've played have, has the position of the Biden white house been, we didn't see this coming. Like, are you kidding me right now? Yeah. I just some idiot saw this coming. (laughs) And you're a person with a degree that is apparently so competent that you've been, hired by a government administration to foresee this to serve the American people. How did you not, how did you not see it coming and how did I see it and see this coming? It's insane. So is it willful denial or is it that like, if the right wing says, guys, this is going to be bad. They go, well, we have to take the opposite stance because we can't be on the same side as the right wing. I definitely think part of it is that. Because everybody, anybody, anybody that is, to the right of center has been saying for years now that we are going to have these exact problems. We have talked about it so many times on this program for the last two years. And now they're like, Oh, we couldn't have seen it coming. I mean, come on. I don't have an economics degree. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe the fact that I don't have an economics degree makes it to where I'm not a complete idiot. Yeah. Very possible. Like maybe there's something about having a boner for Keynesian economics and being obsessed with a guy who thought the Bolshevik revolution was a good thing 
Maybe that's what makes me able to sit here in Realville and say, this is a bad idea. You're spending too much money. Your COVID lockdowns are going to have lasting effects. And so either it's that, that they are just hidebound by either ideology or politics that they can't actually solve this problem or that this is that, or they actually want this problem to happen. I mean, how many, how much these people, I think there was a quote from Biden a few weeks ago saying, you know, it's good that gasoline's getting so expensive because it'll help us transition to away from fossil fuels. It's yeah. good that these supply chain things are happening because you really shouldn't have been so accustomed to all of these things in the first place. Yeah. I mean, it's good you know- that inflation is happening because America's too rich. I mean, yeah, maybe the idea here is like, hey, if we can just have society crumble before 2024, we can institute martial law and then we don't have to worry about one of those pesky elections. I would be remiss if I did not at least (laughs) wonder if that was a possibility. Which is actually a really good segue into our into our next story. Um, interestingly enough, for those of you who have, you know, obviously listened to this program and then followed things like the uh, election and all the strange questions and, you know, wonderings that we've had given, uh, you know, some of the stuff that we saw that have basically driven the questions about the previous election and uh, why there's been a lot of um, thoughts, we'll say. Uh, about, you know, strange things that have happened. Um, the cybersecurity and information, um, sorry, the, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Administration, or CISA, uh, which is under the Department of Homeland Security, released an advisory, um, which is an ICS advisory, which is an industrial control system advisory, for those who don't know. Um, it was released on Friday afternoon, you know, which uh, for those of you who've listened to the program long enough, know that there's a little secret about when you release things on Friday afternoon, it's because you don't want anyone to read them. Um, titled right. Vulnerabilities Affecting Dominion Voting Systems. Huh. Wait a minute. I thought that the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency said when Donald Trump came out and said that there were problems with the election... Uh, They said, no, it was the most secure election in U.S. history. There were no problems. Oh. Oh. So this is the summary. I'm not going to get into the technical details, though. I have read through them, and I do understand them. Um, Let me explain to you. This is the summary that comes from this advisory. This advisory identifies vulnerabilities affecting versions of the Dominion Voting System's Democracy Suite ImageCast X, or 10 which is an in-person voting system used to allow voters to mark their ballot. The ImageCast 10 can be configured to allow voters uh, to allow a voter to produce a paper record or to record, record votes electronically. While these vulnerabilities present risks that should be mitigated as soon as possible, CISA has no evidence that these vulnerabilities have been exploited in any elections. Exploitation of these vulnerabilities would require physical access to in, uh, individual ImageCast X devices, access to the election management system, or the ability to modify files before they were uploaded by ImageCast X devices. Jurisdictions can prevent and or detect the exploitation of these vulnerabilities by diligently applying mitigations recommended in this advisory. 
including technical, physical, and operational controls that limit author unauthorized access or manipulation of voting systems. Many of these mitigations are already, are already typically standard practice in jurisdictions where the devices are in use and can be enhanced to further guard against exploitation of these vulnerabilities. Now, need I remind you, the electronic... The, the election management system is the overall system for all of these um, systems that they work on. People make their votes. It goes into the election management system. And that's where those numbers then get pushed to the higher authority for counting, right? Uh, for those who don't understand that. Now, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it says here, um, you know, it, it, it says here that there are... Um, it says here that files could have been manipulated before. I need to remind the audience that there was a weird update that got pushed in certain areas um, prior to uh, the election day because there was a there was a random weird update that happened, and uh, there were issues with voting systems because an update got pushed at the last minute right before voting went live. I'm trying to remember where it was. It was either Pennsylvania or Georgia. I can't remember which place, or maybe it was both. Um, but it caused a delay in voting and people were very weirded out that there was an update that was randomly pushed. Now, could that update have contained malicious code? Yes, it can. It's entirely possible that that can happen. It doesn't mean it did, but it's entirely possible that it can happen. Now, what I'll do is instead of getting into the meat and potatoes of all of the actual vulnerabilities, because they get into the technical details here, let me read what the mitigation, uh, what the mitigations that were put out by CISA were. Uh, Contact Dominion Voting Systems to determine which software or firmware updates need to be applied. Dominion Voting System reports to CISA that the above vulnerabilities have been addressed in subsequent software versions, which means that they have updated versions available, but it means that these, these vulnerabilities existed in previous versions. Understand that that's how that works. It means that Every software version prior, unless there was a large systemic chain change, had had these vulnerabilities. It also means that these vulnerabilities were just now discovered. That doesn't mean that they weren't known before to malicious actors. I need people to understand that. China could have known about this. Russia could have known about this. North Korea could have known about this. Anyone. It just got discovered now by security personnel. Ensure all affected devices are physically protected before, during, and after voting. Okay. Ensure compliance with chain of custody procedures throughout the election cycle. Well, we already know that that was a complete mess in the last election. Ensure that ImageCast X and election management systems are not connected to any external, in other words, internet accessible networks. We know that that was a problem. We know for a fact that one of the audits that occurred in Arizona showed that there were systems connected to the internet, which by the way, takes all of these protections out. It means that any of these vulnerabilities could have been violated. Any of those escalations could have occurred if this was connected to the internet. And we know for a fact that there were systems connected to the internet. This was absolutely brought back. Ensure carefully selected protective and detective physical security measures, locks and tamper evidence stuff are implemented on all affected devices, including connected devices such as printers and connecting cables. Close any background application windows on each image cast X device. Use read-only media to update software or install files. Understand that for a second. Use read-only media to update software or install files. What that means, when that's a mitigation, 
It means that their concern is that there could be a supply chain compromise. It means that there is actually a legitimate concern that a threat actor was able to access something within the election system, insert malicious code, somebody plugs a thumb drive in to update the software, and boom, that malicious code is now sitting on that system, and if it's able to connect to the internet, it can connect to the the command and control infrastructure, and the threat actor can then manipulate those vulnerabilities. I am telling you right now, why the hell did CISA suddenly publish this, this advisory? Why is this happening now? These are systems that have been being used across our country. Dominion voting systems were brought up multiple times. Everybody in this audience remembers that they were brought up. They were one of the linchpin providers and vendors that was brought up by all of the vote questions questioning that was going on. And all of a sudden now... The deep state's okay with revealing these vulnerabilities. So you have to ask yourself the question. These vulnerabilities existed before. They're just now being patched. But these vulnerabilities existed before. Why is the government now revealing that? Well, first of all, why were they doing the audit in the first place? Why was it okay to do the audit on these? Because we asked to audit these systems before. After the 2020 yeah. election, we asked for an audit of these systems, and the entire United States government said that we were conspiracy theorists and we were attempting to do a coup. So why the hell did it happen now? And let me tell you exactly why it happened now. Because tell the me. Democrats are going to claim that the election was stolen in the midterms, and they're going to blame it on Russia. They're going to lose their ass in the midterm elections. They're going to blame it on Russia. They're going to say that Russia hacked the election, and they are going to perform a goddamn coup. Well, that's a pretty good assessment. And it's, I would almost say the coup has already happened, especially by evidence uh, that the FBI has been working with, worked intimately with the Democrat Party in order to violate the civil rights of an opposing political party and provide them top cover for doing so. And this is the, and now they're just, it's steps to consolidate the gains of that coup. I, 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 I know I, I just got a little bit passionate, but you do you get, it, that's good. Better, better than being unpassionate. <laughs> well, it, it's because I know, I know for a fact that the Democrats are going to do this. They are going to claim, they're going to say that big bad Putin is so afraid of Joe Biden and the Democrats that he hacked the election. It's going to be 2016 over again. I mean, if you thought mm-hmm. that you were infuriated over the Democrats doing a 180 on election security after they claimed the 2016 election was stolen by Vladimir Putin, if you were mad yeah. about that, I just want you to imagine that every single Democrat in November is going to sound like Trump times a thousand after they get their asses handed to them in the midterm elections. And we're going to be just screaming into the void about the hypocrisy. We are going to be sitting Mm -hmm. there losing our minds about how hypocritical it is. It's going to be obscene. Now, what Alan's talking about with the intimate relationship between the FBI and the Democrats, that is... 
I understand the Durham case occurred, right? And, um, you know, we've always taken a very solid stance. The Democrats get away with everything. So we had no expectation that anything bad was going to happen. And to be honest, those of you who have regularly listened to this uh, broadcast know for a fact that I'm very tired of the TikTok Durham nonsense. But believe it or not, I'm going to give credit to John Durham where a lot of people are not. So I'm not trying to be contrarian because that's the problem I have, right? Is everyone's going to act like I'm contrarian because I've been crapping all over Durham for a while. And now all of a sudden I'm going to be nice to him when all the other pundits are basically talking about how, you know, oh my God, how the hell could he have lost this, uh, this suit against Sussman? Mm -hmm. Let me ask a question of the audience because I want you guys to understand my logic here. Michael Sussman, let's say, okay, cool. A DC jury full of Clinton donors, because that's true, somehow find Michael Sussman guilty of lying to the FBI. And Michael Sussman gets whatever he gets. A fine, maybe house arrest. It's not going to be anything crazy. It's not like he's going to get frog marched to prison for decades. They find him guilty. What does that do? What does that get us? Hooray? See, this one guy lied to the FBI about Russia stuff. Mm-hmm. Who cares? But I want people to understand that that wasn't the point. This isn't a 40 chess statement. What do we okay. know now? Regardless of the fact that Michael Sussman didn't get indicted by a jury full of Clinton donors, what did we get through the discovery of evidence? We literally have, number one, we have a text message that was not allowed to be admitted into court, by the way, just so people are fully aware. The judge did not allow this as evidence in the actual case. We have a text message where we can prove that Michael Sussman did actually lie. He 100% contacted the um, chief counsel at the FBI and said, I am not representing a client, but I need to speak to you about a, a, an, an urgent matter. And he was talking about the Trump Alpha Bank nonsense. Um, and right. so we know he lied to the FBI because he was, in fact, representing uh, Hillary Clinton at the time. We know that. We know that. That is, that is a 100% fact. It was not allowed to be admitted into the court case, but we know it for a fact. He did, in fact, lie to the FBI. Nobody cared. A jury of Clinton donors didn't care because they probably think that that lie is a good thing. In fact, a juror was quoted in the newspaper afterwards saying, we have far greater things to worry about than whether or not somebody lied to the FBI. Yeah. So it was a corrupt jury because of course it is. It's a DC jury. The Democrats tried themselves and found themselves not guilty. Okay, so we learned that he did lie. We know that he lied. And so we know that this entire court case doesn't actually matter because we know he lied. And then the corrupt judge, you know, Democrat appointed judge said, well, I'm not going to let you uh, submit. I'm not going to let you admit that evidence to the jury that shows he 100% absolutely lied. Okay, cool. What else do we know? Well, we know through this court case that... Hillary Clinton was behind the allegations. Personally, there are emails. You can go look them up. You can look them up in John Durham's filings to the court. We know for a fact that Hillary Clinton knew about these allegations, that they helped push them to the media, 
and that they helped predicate the FBI investigation to allow the media to release it. We know that they hired the Hillary Clinton campaign, hired the tech executive who specifically in an email that we have said, I need you guys to give me evidence that this happened. Or I'm sorry. I need you guys to give me data that makes it look like this happened. He wasn't looking for evidence. They've manufactured data. We know all of this. Now, does that matter, right? Like, is anyone going to go to jail for it? Well, no. It doesn't look like it, or at least not right now. But we know for a fact, undeniable fact, that this was a lie. Now, it's frustrating for me because we've known it's a lie the entire goddamn time. So it's like, seriously, it took you how many years, Durham, to figure out what wrong thing radio has been saying for years on this program. Dude, just sit down and listen to this podcast. It would have saved you a lot of time. The point is, is it is undeniable Democrat corruption. And I understand that people might get cynical about this, but let me explain something. The last time we had these kinds of revelations of Democrat corruption was when WikiLeaks released the internal emails of the Democrat party. And what happened? People voted against the Democrat Party. Mm-hmm. There is a certain point in all the cynicism that we can get and the pessimism that we can get into where we sit there and we go, how the hell? Are, why are my neighbors not out on their lawn screaming right now about how corrupt the Democrats are? We all think that maybe like the, the liberals must have won and I'm the only person who sees through this. The reality is... Somehow, the revelations of Democrat corruption actually do seem to reach the majority of Americans Mm -hmm. because they voted against Hillary Clinton in such a shocking manner that the Democrats literally had basically a schizophrenic breakdown. Yeah. I mean, what we're living through now is basically the post-mental collapse of the Democrat Party. They seriously couldn't handle it. It, it. it created like a schism in their brains. Hmm. But. So we have all of that information. And now that information can be acted on. Primarily one of the bigger, bigger situations that came out of it that Alan was alluding to. Is that the FBI had a secure working space in Perkins Coie law firm. Wasn't there, Perkins Coy the same law firm that produced the Trump dossier? Yes. Oh. Huh. It's also it's also the same law firm that went around right before the election and changed a bunch of laws in violation of state constitutions to ensure that Mark Zuckerberg can finance a bunch of drop boxes um, that have now been discovered to have been obviously manipulated through, you know, like look at movies like 2000 mules where they literally show people multiple times driving up to drop boxes and shoving in a bunch of ballots. Huh? Same law firm, same law firm that represents the Democrat national committee, same law firm that represented Hillary for America and the Hillary Clinton campaign. It is a Democrat specifically is a law firm for the Democrat party. And they had a secure facility, a secure FBI workspace in their law firm where classified information could be processed and accessed. 
They claim it was a phone and a fax machine and a printer. And it was there because sometimes this law firm has to handle classified court documents, you know, in in parts of their regular daily duties. But any time that a federal prosecutor who's not a giant corrupt Democrat piece of garbage is asked about this, they've never heard of this before. Yeah. So what was probably really happening just by the evidence of what we've had through the, for this corruption for so long? Yeah, the FBI was allowing a Democrat law firm to access classified information and then using that classified information to to gin up false allegations against Donald Trump and other people within his administration to try to prosecute them for being the opposition political party. Because by the way, this secure facility was built in 2000 or this secure workspace was built in 2011 during the Obama administration. Interesting. Of course it was. Yeah. I, seems like a lot of this corruption really goes back to the Obama presidency. That's what a lot of this, it seems like there was a paradigm shift during that that caused a lot of this to become much worse. Yeah, the weaponization of the intelligence community absolutely occurred under Barack Obama, and it was it was specific, and it was strategic. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the reason why they filled out the D.C. courts with a bunch of uh, shit-lib, judge, uh, shit-lib judges. That's why they try all of these cases in D.C. George Papadopoulos... His crime, supposed crime that he was tried for, happened in Chicago. But he was tried in Washington, D.C. Why? Friendly judge, friendly jury. Michael Flynn could have been arrested in Arlington, Virginia, where he lives. Instead, they arrested him in Washington, D.C., where he would have to plead his case in front of a friendly judge and a friendly jury. Friendly to the Democrats. Yeah. By the way, Michael Sussman did lie to the FBI and nobody cared. Hillary Clinton lied to the FBI. Um, Hillary Clinton smashed government phones with a hammer in order to prevent their from falling into the hands of the FBI. And yes. nothing happened. And nothing happened. She, uh, weirdly, they accused uh, Donald Trump of having a secret server that was communicating to the Kremlin through Alpha Bank. Hillary Clinton actually did have a secret server. That was a real thing. But her email. Yeah, but her emails, though. Yeah. She literally did the thing that they accused Trump of doing. She literally did it. And then the Democrats went, but her emails. So let me explain something. (laughs) This corruption absolutely goes deep. What's insane about it, Peter Navarro former advisor to President Trump, um, was held in contempt of Congress because he refused to show up in front of the January 6th committee. So they the FBI waited until he was getting on a plane and then arrested him and handcuffed him, took him to jail, put him in leg irons, and put him in a jail cell for contempt of Congress for not showing up to a congressional uh, hearing. Have you ever heard of that happening? Just so you're aware, Attorney General Eric Holder 
was held in contempt of Congress and nothing happened except for the fact that he resigned. Yeah. It was Wild. the one and to- only time that an attorney general was held in contempt of Congress and it was over Fast and Furious, which is even more entertaining to bring up because what was Fast and Furious, for those of you who don't remember, it was when we were giving assault weapons to Mexican drug cartels because supposedly we were going to track them and then we didn't track them at all and they were used to murder a bunch of people, including a border patrol agent. We we literally yeah. armed Mexican drug cartels in the Obama administration. And when it was found out, the attorney general was like, I'm not going to give you any of the things you asked for, uh, for evidence uh, for this corrupt thing that we did. Wild. Absolutely wild. So, yes, yeah, like, I get it. I get it. It, it. it is upsetting. But let's just acknowledge the truth. Let's move forward. We can be happy warriors with the infra- – because, let's be honest, we're not surprised by it. Yes, there is a two-tier justice system in Washington, D.C. If you are a Democrat, you will literally get away with murder. And if you are a Republican, if you so much as fart in public, you are going to the gulag. Yeah. Like, just – I get it. Yes, it's infuriating. It's upsetting. Great. Yeah, no, it's I I I know. I know. So, mm-hmm. obviously the question that needs to be asked is what are we going to do about it? Well, to be honest, that's on politicians. Wait, yeah. if it gets to the point where the people have to do something about it, this country is going to be is going through a civil war. That is that that's at the end of the day, that's it. If we, the people, have to do something about it, then it's we, the people, that are cleaning out the government. Not only not only the bad, corrupt, disgusting politicians on the left that are constantly abusing their power, but also the weak-kneed, do-nothing Republicans who allowed it to happen. Yeah. We have to demand that every single politician that we are going to send to Capitol Hill is going to do something about these things because if it turn if it if it moves to a situation where we the people have to do something about it this can't be a weak need response it is literally we are dragging people we are arresting the United States government as the people deputized for treason and we are throwing them in jail and we are starting over. That is, that is how that's, that is the nice way that this is going to look. Yeah. And and so the reason why I'm bringing that up is the Republican party needs to acknowledge that if they do not do something to remedy what we are seeing, then the, then the, the response has to come from we, the people, and I'm using that very specifically the response has to come from we the people, and that's not a good thing. Your government is over if we have to do that. Mm-hmm. So if you're actually super worried about like, well, I mean, I'm worried about extremism. Of course I'm worried about it. Yet yeah, you should be. You're causing us to go extreme by not doing anything. You being giant, massive pussies about all of this corruption is what is going to cause extremism. Sure. Seriously, like the Demo- or the Republican Party is far more responsible for fixing this than the Democrats. We already know where the Democrats are. The Democrats are at the point of, I'm going to do what I want and you're not going to stop me. Or basically, I'm going to do what I want and try to stop me. 
So I, I hate to say this, guys. We're not going to fix the Democrat Party. They're corrupt, and they're going to remain corrupt forever until they are completely gutted. This is entirely incumbent on the Republican Party. Yeah. If they don't do anything, well, then both parties are... It's going to be bad for both of you because, like, why the hell would I keep Dan Crenshaw in office, you know, when he's sitting there being a massive cuck to everything? You know what I mean? For sure. For sure. And I'm bringing this up because there's a midterm election. Well, okay. Here's your chance, guys. Here's your chance, Republicans, to do the right thing and to save this republic. And if you don't, well, okay. It's going to suck for you. Because mm-hmm. what we're going to do is we're going to roll into Washington, D.C. You guys are all going to be put on a you know citizen trial for treason. Um, and then we're going to move the capital of the United States to like Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> now we're going to put it in the, we're going to put it in the middle of flyover country uh, where, you know, all of your idiot, you know, Harvard graduates are too afraid to go to because there's too much corn and your GPS don't quite work right. And we're going to make it unattainable for you losers to work in our government anymore and fleece the American people of everything that they have. Yeah. That's a nice way of saying it. Oh yeah. All right. Yeah. Fun stuff. I'll have a, I can't say I have a lot to add to that, but yeah, yeah it's, something's got to happen. Yeah, I, like, yeah, I, I know what I would like to see. I would like to see a bunch of people in jail and blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to list out all of the things that I'd love to see because one, it's annoying. And two, we're repeating ourselves. We have an election coming up. Do something. Do the right thing. If you don't, it's going to go very badly. It. I'm, I'm just going to leave it at this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to leave it at. It is the responsibility of the Republican Party to fix this. We can't expect we can't expect the Democrats to stop being corrupt. The Republican Party needs to grow a pair of balls. And they they need to accept that it is incumbent on them to fix this. And if they don't, they are 100 percent responsible. If a bunch of people in the United States finally say, I'm done with this. We're we're locking the doors of the Capitol building. We are putting every single politician under arrest for treason for screwing over the American people. And the Republicans have no right to say, well, but what about me? No, you didn't do anything. What about you? Screw you. You're going to get the cell next to Hillary Clinton. Because why? Your inaction is almost worse because at least the Democrats like are being corrupt because they think they're cool. Yeah. But um, let's let's shift gears a little bit uh, because this is something I would like to do uh, regularly on the program because I think it's fun. Um, and let us know what you guys think. Um, I'm going to get into a weird story because I like these stories. And sometimes we need a break from the politics and we need to flex our brains and talk about some other things. This is sure. a really interesting story that came out actually last month, but I want to read it now. And it's from the Epic Times. And it is headlined, three-year-old remembers past life as a snake, gives verified details of encounter with Hunter. Wow. Prepare yourselves. (laughs) A young boy named Dalawang 
in Thailand was three years old when he met an acquaintance of his father's named Mr. Hugh. For the first time, or for the first time, the boy seemed to know in detail about a confrontation Hugh once had with a snake. But how Dalawang knew these details remains a mystery. Dalawang claimed it was because he, he was that snake in a previous life. He said he was in a cave when he encountered two dogs. He fought with the dogs before confronting their owner, Hugh. Hugh killed the snake. These details were all confirmed by Hugh. Dalawang said after he died, he saw that his current father had eaten a piece of this snake. It is true that his father ate a piece of the snake Hugh killed at the time, before Dalawang's birth. Dalawang touched Hugh's shoulder, recalled, recalled his father, and Hugh had been bit, bitten there by a snake. Hugh did indeed have a scar on that shoulder from a snake bite. Though Dalawang was initially upset with Hugh, the boy forgave him. Dalawang said it was not good to be a snake, and Hugh released him from that misery. The boy started killing snakes often, which he felt was a good deed. Incidentally, Dalawang was born with a skin condition, which caused the lower half of his body to be covered in scales like Weird. a snake. Weird. How nuts is that? Very strange. It's like, so either everybody in the story is lying and the whole thing's a fiction or something very strange is going on. Yeah. I mean, th this gets into the idea, you know, ideas like reincarnation, you know, the kid, the kid's got a weird skin condition where he's covered, you know, like, sure. Okay. Let, let, let's be fair. There are plenty of people that are going to want to sit down and try to explain this, you know, in, in science at it. Like, oh, well, maybe they were talking about it. Maybe he overheard it, blah, blah, blah. But that's not any fun. Right. That's right. not any fun, and you suck. <laughs> so I, I've consistently said that I love things like conspiracy theories. I mm -hmm. love things like paranormal stuff. Don't. It's okay to have the conversation of thinking, like, like have the conversation and the fun of thinking about how maybe this could have happened and could be rationalized. I'm okay with that, but don't, don't suck. And this is one of the reasons yeah. why, if you've, if you've noticed listening to the program, why I get so annoyed by people vilifying quote conspiracy theories, because I think stories like this are interesting. I think they're fascinating and I get so annoyed when People want to live their lives and be like, that's impossible. There's nothing higher than us. Science is king. There's nothing that I can't not explain. Yeah. And then there's, I think there's plenty of stuff that's unexplainable that uh, is worth a second look. So I, I like, and, and, and also just for those of you that are, that are, you know, very religious I know people get uncomfortable having these conversations. Um, we're all having fun here, so don't turn this into some sort of faith debate. But like, yeah, this kid's talking about having a previous life. This kid's talking about having lived as a snake. This, it, the concept is reincarnation. Yeah, for sure. So, so like, yeah, I, I, I totally understand that the Christian faith 
does not believe in reincarnation in this aspect. I get that. But how crazy would it be if you were a snake? Yeah. Well, there's at least part of it that's got to kind of wonder and think, well, like, is there something there? Yeah. There's got to be... To say there's a, any sort of scientific explanation for consciousness or the soul is... Uh, there isn't. It's or, it's or at the very least, it's very tenuous theories. Like, well, you know, it just kind of happens. So that's why I always got to... I, I always hear these things and it makes me just kind of put it on that back burner and wonder, well, what if, is there something there? What could that be? I, I have a fun thought. Yeah? What if this isn't necessarily reincarnation? What if because the father ate a part of the snake, he was able to absorb some of the essence and or basically like kind of the soul of this snake? And then when he gave birth to his son, that essence was transferred to the son and he's able on like a DNA level to connect into the memories of this snake. Uh, it would certainly be a wild theory. Yeah. This gets into like why like ancient tribes used to eat like the heart because sure. they were absorbing the essence of their enemies. The idea being that you were going to gain their strengths, their knowledge, their, you know, abilities. Yeah. Wild. Well, and to say that there's nothing there, like there's clearly something to all of this that is unexplained and we, we don't understand. I think... It certainly wouldn't surprise me if there was... If that, if it would certainly wouldn't surprise me if there was something along those lines. Yeah, like, I like stuff, well, I like all sorts of things like this. Just things that you can't explain, right? They're, they're, they're absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. But I, stories like this are great because it gets people, like, it, it gets people in that headspace of realizing that there's something far greater than us out there, and it's unexplainable. And that's good. I think, I don't ever, I can never understand why that's ever a bad thing. Especially because yeah. when you start, actually, this is a, just because we're, this is kind of the first time we've dove into something like this, but it gets into like the idea of like when people, first of all, I think I may have said this on the program before, but just in case, um, I think that the whole flat earth theory thing was a meme. I think that it was trollery. Okay. I like meaning I think the majority of it was a bunch of people on the internet that loved how upset people got about people saying the earth was flat and it was more of an entertainment thing of like making fun of people on the internet saying the earth was flat and watching them freak out and like yeah. lose their mind rather than people like in their heart of hearts believing the earth was flat. Um, That's what I think. The, the majority of stuff that I saw from flat earth stuff over the years was mostly people just pissing other people off being like, nope, earth's flat. You can't explain it. And then them just having a great old time watching somebody scream at the sky. But then we watched like the media and, you know, a bunch of other people be like horrified over the idea that people believed the earth was flat. I loved it because 
what bad would come out of people going, okay, well, we have to prove beyond like a doubt to the main population that NASA isn't totally a lie and that the earth is actually round. Oh God, no. You mean you're going to make space travel available to the common man? You monsters. Mm -hmm. How's that a bad thing? Like, where's the, I'm sorry, where's the bad part? Well, a bunch of people think the earth's flat. Who gives it? Who cares? Why do I care about this? Wait, I'll tell you what. Elon Musk can send me up in a spaceship. Alan and I will go up in a spaceship and prove that the earth is round and it can be financed by the dis- misinformation and disinformation governance board uh, budget that's no longer useful. You can send us up and we will prove the flat earthers wrong, uh, which will be a huge win for science, right? Gotta love that science. And Alan and I will get to go to space. Yeah. The so... thing is, like, it's like the earth, this is a, a thought exercise. Yeah. It's like, is the Earth round? Like, well, it's already round. Like, and you can tell. Like, if you t- if you fly in a plane, and you look at the horizon, or you go out in a ship on the sea, the horizon is circular around you. And if right. and the further you get away, say the higher up in a plane or even orbital, you'll still see that same circle, because you're only you can only really ever see a flat cross section essentially of the Earth. It's such a like the the uh, the Earth would be so big. Like, I'm not saying not saying that flat Earth is wrong or right, but as a thought exercise, the Earth would be so big comparatively that even if you were up in say even if you were in, in suborbital flight, you would still only see it as a round disk because okay. the scale is such that your you your the human eye doesn't have enough parallax to see it from two separate angles enough for it to look three-dimensional. Okay, okay. I'm tracking. Okay. And so when people go up and say, well, I know, I don't see the curvature. It's like, well, you can't see curvature. That just You don't ever see that. You don't see it if you look at a, a basketball. You don't really see the curves. You see a round disc with a pattern on it. And if you don't know that it's, circ- if it's, that it's round you'll only see it as a disc. Does that make sense? So just by looking at it, it's hard to prove that it's flat or round simply because the the human eye doesn't see it as, like you can't see the back of it at the same time you're seeing the front. Right, right. You have to be able to rotate it. So if you were in, say, geo, if you were uh, in orbit, orbit and you actually watched it rotate, that would be the best evidence you could have. But just saying I'm in the sky and I don't see the curves, like, well, you can't see the curve because you see the horizon and the area that would, if it's round, if it's round, you would see the horizon. And if it slopes away from you, well, you can't see that because it's sloping away from you. Right. So it's one of those many things like the moon landing where I'm not going to dismiss it out of hand that the conspiracy about it, but I do get annoyed when bad evidence is used. It's like if I'm in a plane and I can't see the curve, so like, okay, that that's just bad evidence. That's not proving your disproving that is but it's bad evidence to use. Same with the moon landing. Saying, Oh, really? They flew through the Van Allen radiation belt that would have killed the astronauts. And I say, Well, according to NASA, they flew around it. So 
If NASA's lying about that, maybe. But NASA's also the one telling you that the Van Allen radiation belt exists. And if they were going to pull off this as a hoax, they just wouldn't say there's a radiation belt. And then they also wouldn't have to come up with the excuse they flew around it. So it doesn't prove it either way, but it is bad evidence to use. Mm -hmm. It's the same as saying, well, they, you know, they talking with the people on the moon. They just the, the president made a phone call to the guys in the moon. That's crazy because they did. They had the president call, talk to the guys in real time on the moon. Mm -hmm. But then you read NASA's documentation. They say, well, we had to come up with this really complicated way of channeling communications. We came up with this whole new format for sending uh, data messages you know, between the Earth and the moon in order to accomplish this feat. You know, okay, well, if this is a hoax, NASA would have NASA's covering their ass pretty well. So it's gonna it's not you have to then go into much more greater detail as to why that scheme they brought up wouldn't work or why the orbital flight plan of flying around the Van Allen radiation belt through the weakest sections wouldn't have worked in order for me to believe that that's a good case for why this is a conspiracy. So do you get more annoyed over the fact that when people use bad evidence, does it annoy you because you're like, well, I can just dismiss this. So this isn't fun anymore. You're not working my brain at yeah. all. You're just being, you're making me dumber by having to read your bullshit. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of it. And it, and it, it also exposes that this is not being done intellectually in good faith. So I think when people bring up bad evidence on in, any side of anything, and I might be, I might do this for things and I not even realize it. It shows that you you want this to be true more than you're curious if, if this is true. Uh, another So the thing I always go to, specifically about the moon landing, per se, is the Soviet Union and I think there's eight other countries had the ability to track the Apollo 11 flights via radar and other things. They had the infrastructure to do that. None of them have said that it was fake. And the Soviet Union absolutely would have had a reason to embarrass the United States on the world stage and say it was fake. So I now need another explan uh, uh, explanation for why didn't that happen. And unfortunately, I, so I kind of feel that uh, every time a conspiracy trends to um, rampancy, where it now requires everything to be a conspiracy forever, that makes me start getting suspicious about it. So it would require the United States and the Soviet Union were essentially working together behind the scenes during the Cold War. And that's why they didn't call us out on a fake moon landing. I start going, that's that's too much. So maybe the idea that it's fake isn't true. I, I much more prefer the idea that if you're going to have a conspiracy about the moon landing, that they found something on the moon that they didn't want to publicize. And that's why we've never officially been back. That's way more interesting to me. Mm hmm. Because then it then it covers a lot more of the bases and doesn't require this insane, uh, a, a much a, a too high a bar of conspiracy stuff. Like everybody working at Lockheed was actually inventing space stuff. Like all these engineers were making things and building stuff. They had huge machine shops, thousands of people involved in the space program, and all of it was fake. It's like where did those where did the rockets they built go? Where did all of those guys working for Lockheed, were they all in on it? How have none of them talked? It's those things that get it a little exciting. But when you can say it's still just a small cabal of people hiding something, it has to remain a pretty small group for me to really believe it. Or at least I need a better explanation. Saying yeah. like the 
massive banking institutions of the world caused the Great Depression is more believable to me because it would require the a coordination of at the high level with a deft touch at the lower levels. It's similar to how you know the saying the U.S. news media coordinates with the Democrat Party. That doesn't require this incredible rampancy of conspiracy theory. It simply requires people at the top and a bunch of willing people inside the organization are doing something that is has a great impact but is relatively benign. Well, so my question here is, well, okay. Um, no, I get that. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, there's a certain level. And um, I'm, rem- I'm reminded that a few years ago, we invited somebody to come onto the program um, who had been on the program before, but I'm not going to use their name because uh, there's no reason hmm. to try to call them out um, because they questioned the moon landing and we tried to get them to come onto the program and they were supposed to, uh, but then they never got back to us. And yeah, I think, I'm, I think schedules got mixed up, but I, I think they, they were just, they were busy more than they were malicious, but at the same time, and that's exactly what I, when I saw people debating the moon landing a couple of years ago, I, I kind of dove into it and that's where I found a lot of this is just bad. It's, 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 it's bad evidence. Like the, the much better evidence is things like why did they build a scale model set of the moon landing? Why did they have the oh who's the guy from two thousand one? Stanley Kubrick. Um, Kubrick. Why was Kubrick involved with all of this? Like hmm. those things are kind of weird and suspicious. There is plenty of weird and suspicious stuff about the moon landing to dive into, but I see people get fixated on these pieces that are I think are. Not evidence one way or another. Like the Van Allen radiation belt's a good one. Oh, the, like NASA says we can't go back. Well, okay, but we don't happen to have a bunch of Saturn V rockets with the lift capacity to do this sitting around stockpiled. And the factories to make them don't exist anymore. We repurpose those facilities to build things like the space shuttle. Uh, people pick that as evidence. And I think that's still not great evidence because... The idea that they're not saying we couldn't build one if we needed to. They're simply saying we don't have a stockpile of rockets ready to go. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a factory that has been built out to produce those rockets because there's only so many spaceship factories and they all got transitioned to other projects after the moon landing was canceled. Things like all of the records got deleted. Okay, that's a little more suspicious, maybe explainable. And I guess that's what annoys me. Is It annoys me when people use bad evidence to try and prove something that and ignore much more uh, pressing evidence that I think mm-hmm. it better proves it. It again, it, it shows me that either you don't recognize that that's bad evidence, or you're not critical enough of your evidence, uh, and and you just use it willy nilly rather than truly trying to pursue this conspiracy. You're just proving yourself right. Yeah. Well. What I'd like to do is is for you know all the people out there in the audience, we'll close this out. Um, I would like to continue to do some of these stories, and we're going to keep kind of looking at them because it's always nice, like I said, to get a little bit of a break. But I want to know from the audience perspective, what are the kind of uh, either conspiracies or paranormal things that, that interest you? Kind of like what's your guilty mm-hmm. pleasure? You know, is it cryptids or is it ghosts? Is it, you know, uh, is it the pyramids? Is it the pyramids? Is it Atlantis? Yeah. 
You know, like, what are the things that kind of interest you? Because Alan and I, for those of you who are kind of unaware, we, like, spend maybe half of our time on show prep. The other half of our time is spent on, now let me explain to you how Atlantis is real. (laughs) So Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) So it's always good to get into, but I want to hear from the audience. I want to know what you guys think it is, but that's going to have to be it for our show today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, Go over to our Discord channel. So you have to go to subscribestar.com forward slash wrongthinkradio subscribe there and then you can join our discord and drop in there what's kind of stuff that interests you let's have that conversation as well because let's talk about all sorts of stuff it'll be a lot of fun like i said sometimes we need a break and i think it's a great thing to do let us know what you guys want to hear about and let's have that conversation because it'll be a heck of a lot of fun for us as well i'm aaron from the east coast i'm alan from the west coast and this is wrong think radio we'll see you all next sunday